Welcome back to By Any Means Necessary on Radio Sputnik in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sean Blackman, here with Jackie Lukeman. And as always, we are your guide for connecting the political, social, and economic movements shaping the world around us. And today we're talking some about Julian Assange, and we're happy to be joined for this conversation by Patrick Hennison of 21st Century Wire. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Sean. Yeah, and Patrick, uh, there's been this situation with one of the lawyers for uh, political prisoner and whistleblower Julian Assange. One of his lawyers has has come out, I believe, claiming that uh, uh, the Trump administration approached Assange, uh, basically offering a deal for a pardon if Assange would, uh, I believe, state publicly that uh, Russia uh, did not uh, interfere in the 2016 elections. Uh, I was hoping you could sort of help uh, break down what's uh, uh, happening here and uh, what do you think is maybe motivating some of this? Well, this this, this is quite quite one to untangle. It was only released, you know, a few hours ago uh, recently. But, uh, but the way the media has initially reported this, and I'm talking about the mainstream media, uh, the Daily Beast and the independent newspaper in, in the UK and many others had various spins on this, but basically all of their headlines read that uh, Trump was trying to you know, offer a deal, a quid pro quo, if you will, uh, with Julian Assange while he was in the Ecuadorian embassy previously uh, in exchange for information about the DNC leaks. And in the case of, firstly, just on the media spin, in the case of the Daily Beast and some of these other articles, the headlines don't actually match the body text of what's in actual, actually in the story. And in the story, it's not, it doesn't say that uh, that, for instance, the if he covered up Russian interference is the headline in the Independent. So, it, and then in the Daily Beast, it's a similar thing. Uh, so it wasn't as conclusive when you read down uh, into the body of the article. Mm. And so that's just standard spin. So what this came from was one of the defense lawyers, Mr. Fitzgerald. This came out during hearing uh, just recently, uh, and this was a statement about uh, Congressman Dana Rohrbacher who I don't believe is, is I think he was, he's retired from Congress at the moment, but while he was a congressman, uh, he went to visit Julian Assange to interview him at the Ecuadorian embassy. And so the congressman actually released a statement. So I had only seen this statement uh, in the last couple of hours. So I had I'd originally been talking about this this morning, but I didn't have all the information. So, uh, but Congressman Rohrbacher denies that he was directed by Donald Trump he went there on his own volition, according to Congressman Dana Rohrbacher, and he did not talk about Assange with uh, President Trump beforehand. And uh, afterwards, when he came back, he relayed to uh, the then chief of staff, General Kelly, uh, Donald Trump's chief of staff, uh, he said that uh, Julian Assange would uh, provide information in exchange for a pardon. So it, it seems like Rohrbacher went there, made this offer, according to him, on his own volition, and sort of did a kind of, you know, flowed, drifted the deal out to Assange, saying, you know, look, we'll, I'll do my best to lobby to President Trump uh, if, if you provide, if you can commit to providing information on uh, who, who provided the leaked emails, We're talking about the John Podesta emails uh, in the DNC leaks, which happened in the summer of 2016. So that that's that's the re- where the real story sits right now, but there's a lot of interesting uh, angles to this. Firstly, you have the spin which is that you know it's the spin that the media applied to this information initially blew it way out of proportion. So what they're doing is basically trying to validate the Russiagate narrative. 
uh, through these headlines in the Daily Beast and so forth to make it seem like Russia did it, but Trump's trying to cover up Russian involvement. Totally deceptive and manipulative by the mainstream press. So, but what this does, what Rohrbacher's claim, and this is interesting, and I, I, I do, I am questioning Dana Rohrbacher. What role is he playing to f- go there and freelance, even to make such an offer? Yeah. If, if he's supposedly on the side of Julian Assange, then he should respect WikiLeaks and Assange as a press outlet, Assange as a journalist and a publisher, and not ask him to give up his sources. Because the whole basis of his uh, prosecution uh, by the DOJ is completely erroneous. It only works if you reframe him. Uh, as not being a journalist, and WikiLeaks as not being a media outlet, and make them a, a hostile foreign intelligence service, and make Assange a cyber uh, criminal and a Kremlin agent. So I do question Dana Rohrbacher working between the lines here in the kind of the gray area. Uh, so I w- he shouldn't have made that offer. What he should do is understand the press freedom implications. So that's an angle, another angle to look at this with. Definitely. And I appreciate you breaking that down. And I think the uh, the way you highlighted, you know, the spin we're seeing uh, is so important because for me, at least in terms of how a lot of these headlines read, it seemed to sort of feed into this whole narrative uh, that's still going around, you know, you know, around the whole sort of Russiagate deal, if you will. Basically, um, you know, uh, with Trump trying to, you know, you know, cover up supposedly Russian involvement of, you know, Trump as a Russian dupe and and, and things uh, of this nature. And it just seems, you know, pretty clear, Patrick, that even a few years after the fact that that whole, you know, narrative is still chugging along here. Yes. And, there, and you have to remember WikiLeaks uh, just tweeted out after this news broke. Uh, if you go to WikiLeaks's Twitter account, which, by the way, was was locked down a couple of days ago and they managed to get it unlocked, uh, which was interesting. But why would the defense be raising this point? And according to WikiLeaks, it's going to be addressed on Tuesday of next week. OK, so WikiLeaks said, just stay tuned for Tuesday you'll find out what this is all about. So what I think, if the defense has raised this point, has nothing to do with necessarily what Dana Rohrbacher is trying, or the media is trying to present or or spin. What I think it shows from the defense side is that there's politicization of, of his extradition case right off the bat, just to have uh, a, someone from the House of Representatives, you know, as an emissary unofficially or, or what, in whatever capacity, uh, you know, offering these kind of deals immediately, this, this case should be thrown out. So this is completely politicized. Uh, and although it's not, it doesn't address the 2016 elections and the 18 superseding indictments, most clearly the underlying premise, uh, is impossible. They could, this is why Eric Holder's department of justice didn't push forward with these indictments under the Obama administration, uh, under the 1917, Espionage Act is because that was a step too far. It wasn't that uh, Holder or Obama weren't waging war on whistleblowers because they were. They were not ready to reframe WikiLeaks and to reframe Assange uh, as not media and not press. But uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein was. And Bill Barr, the current attorney general, seems to have rubber stamped that. So it's all about the reframing. And by the way, this is the exact same uh, way that the underpins the Roger Stone case as well. Because if WikiLeaks was just like the New York Times and Assange was like Dean Baquette, the editor of the New York Times, Roger Stone wouldn't be on trial. It'd be just political operatives and, and press and leaks and everyone trying to get the upper hand during a hot election. 
But because it's Russia, because it's a hostile foreign intelligence service, and Assange is a Russian agent, all of a sudden, every involvement, every interaction you have with these organizations and persons is criminal, potentially under the Espionage Act or something related to that. So it is about the 2016 election. Part of it is Julian Assange's extradition case as well. It, it is in the background. It, it, it forms the discourse. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. And you mentioned uh, Roger Stone, Patrick, who's uh, set to be sentenced a, a little bit later on today. And I'm wondering how you see that folding into some of this, uh, th- this broader narrative, uh, particularly around Russia. Sure. Yeah, the Roger Stone uh, sentencing is, in, in my opinion, is, is the last hope uh, for Russiagate, or Roger Stone is the last scalp available. Because if you look at the other convictions uh, that between the FBI and the Mueller probe, they're all convicted on process crimes or you know financial improprieties that had nothing to do with the Trump-Russia collusion. So Roger Stone is basically on uh, trial for lying to Congress, et cetera, uh, tamper, witness tampering, which, by the way, Randy Credico, who also testified in that trial, said, uh, drafted a letter to the press uh, which was published a couple weeks ago, that said that you know he did, never felt intimidated or threatened at any point. So that takes kind of the witness tampering uh, issue out. But lying to Congress on on what? Uh, Russiagate never happened. There was no back channel to WikiLeaks between Roger Stone and you know WikiLeaks, and the, so everyone was guessing when the next leaks were coming out. Assange publicly said the leaks were coming out. So they've based the whole. A criminal trial with Roger Stone based on something that never happened. So how could he possibly put, it would be like putting you on trial uh, for, you know, covering up the existence of Bigfoot. You know, Bigfoot doesn't exist. So, you know, you lied about the existence of Bigfoot. What do you, what do you mean? There is no Bigfoot. There is no Russiagate. There was no Trump-Russia collusion. So therefore, and legal scholars have commented on this as well and said that, you know, there's nothing illegal here. So it's a process crime. And uh, Julian Assange's framework, underlying prosecutorial assumptions are, are identical. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Patrick Hennison. We're going to leave it there and move to a break here on By Any Means Necessary on Radio Sputnik in Washington, D.C. But we will be back. So please stay with us. By any means necessary. 